It's good to see you again. Tonight we're going to continue with our discussion through the prophets. So far we've looked at the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the intricacies of those major prophetic books. We've looked at the early 8th century prophets that we see in Amos, Hosea, and uh, Micah. And now we're going to go ahead and continue through the 7th century prophets as we look forward to the impending judgment against the southern kingdom through Babylon. Uh, the 7th century prophets begin with the prophet Zephaniah, and that is our focus for the evening. Zephaniah is less known maybe than Zechariah, uh, who predicts, of course, Jesus' entry into the uh, city of Jerusalem on a donkey. But Zephaniah is significant. Zephaniah is one of our major prophets, uh, sorry, minor major prophets to introduce the concept of the day of the Lord, and that the day of the Lord will not be a good day, but rather the day of the Lord might be something to be concerned about and to worry about. The name Zephaniah, you know, ending in uh for uh, Yahweh, uh, indicates the word God is in his name, and it actually means Yahweh hides or Yahweh is hidden. And this is a fitting title because as judgment is approaching uh, and as the people are enduring a poor leadership under the king Manasseh, uh, it does feel like maybe God is not to be found. But um, <clears throat> Zephaniah is prophesying during the reign of the king Manasseh. And of course, if you are aware of the kings of Israel, you recognize this name as a bad one. This is one of the worst kings in the history of all of Israel. He did more to uh, disrupt and uh, create idolatry among the people than any prophet prior. Uh, as even Josiah later on begins his reforms, Manasseh's uh, evil is so bad that God can't overlook it and the judgment must come. So, uh, Zephaniah begins predicting that doom. Zephaniah is likely a royal descendant of King Hezekiah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, and son of Hezekiah. And so you recall Hezekiah is one of the few good kings of Israel uh, who led the people back to serving God. Uh, between him and Zo Josiah, those are our only two kings which we give credit for in the entire history of the kings of Israel and of Judah. He prophesies in a time of great crisis. This is between the reigns of Manasseh and Josiah, and so we have the evil reign of Manasseh, which is going to invoke the judgment of God upon the people, and we have the good reign of Josiah, which is short-lived, but it is a, a reign of reforms. And so because of the good reign of Josiah, many of the prophets of that time were predicting God's blessing, and yet it was just a reprieve on the ultimate judgment that was coming down because of the wickedness of the people. Uh, he prophesied during a time of great crisis, while Josiah's reforms were just in their infancy. Uh, he's also a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. And so this is significant because Jeremiah is also saying the same things. The judgment is coming, and it's too late to ward off the judgment. Uh, repentance is not going to be good enough. At this point in time, have faith that the judgment is coming and trust that God's redemption on, redemption on the other side of the judgment will be sure. And so, Jeremiah, we looked at the uh, Book of Consolation and the hope that we have in, in, built in the center of that book, but for the most part, it remains a book of the weeping prophet. So, uh, the duo of Zephaniah and Jeremiah with a minor prophet and a major prophet working in the same time frame reminds us of Micah and Isaiah, where Micah is the major prophet and Isaiah 
is our minor prophet, but both of them are contemporaries. They seem to know of each other, and they see a similar vision of the future. There's a three-part structure to the book of Zephaniah. We'll go through some of these and uh, camp out on some verses as we go. The first part you'll find in chapter 1, running through the third verse of chapter 2. And this begins with the coming judgment of Jerusalem. Now, this is not a good sign for the people of the south. Uh, again, the northern kingdom has already endured its uh, judgment and has fallen to Assyria. And Assyria is in the process of uh, battling and uh, trying to hold on to its dominance in the world as Babylon is rising. But Zephaniah is seeing judgment coming to the city of Jerusalem, the very city that God lives in, the city that holds the temple, the city that, that is... Uh, is unbeatable in the minds of the Israelites. The, the city that withstood the attack of Assyria, the great power, uh, is now being predicted that judgment is on the way. The judgment is built in a chiasm where we argue to a center point and come back. It begins with an argument for worldwide judgment. God's going to come and judge the entire world, but then he's going to center, center his judgment against Jerusalem and Judah. And then he'll return, the, the prophet comes back to the worldwide judgment. And so uh, Judah's judgment is encapsulated with the larger judgment of the world, but they will not escape judgment. And that's important because a lot of the prophets of the day were predicting that Israel wouldn't have to go through the judgment, that rather Israel would uh, be God's special beacon of light, and that when God judged the world, he would put Israel on top. But what Zephaniah sees and what Jeremiah sees is that Israel is going to be part of the judgment because they've earned God's wrath. So uh, there is an exhortation early on in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 to repent. So let's read that. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation without shame, before the decree that takes effect. The day passes like the chaff, before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. I mean, those are powerful words. If you recall, again, the name Zephaniah means God hides. So maybe if we seek his face and we petition and we pray, we will be hidden in the day of his anger, hidden from the very anger of God. And so this, again, it's ominous because it is an appeal to those that are righteous amidst the evil seek God's prayer that we would be hidden from the evil that's to come. I think this is a good call to uh, every Christian at all times when we find ourselves in the midst of an evil world or an evil society. The prayer is that God would withhold his judgment, but not entirely to withhold his judgment, rather to protect his own and hide his own from the wrath that is to come. You know, sometimes the judgment is the blessing because a nation can reach a point of absolute wickedness where it must be judged lest the wickedness become too great. And we find that God's patterns throughout the Old Testament is to allow a nation to rise to its level of uh, debauchery, wickedness, and evil, and then to bring the judgment against that nation so that it cannot continue and persist and corrupt the world. And he often uses, God often uses one nation against another. And what we see again is that Israel is not removed. Judah is not removed from this judgment. But maybe if we pray hard enough, the, the righteous will withstand the wrath of God, will be hidden from it. 
Part two is the judgment against the nations. And just briefly looking at it, you'll just see God naming the nations and how the judgment's coming against them. Very similar to Amos. And uh, Zephaniah may have uh, developed a very similar oracle against the nation from the prophet Amos, who prophesied in the previous century. But it's an announcement of judgment against the nations, and then finishing up at the end of chapter or the beginning of chapter three, the woe oracle against Jerusalem. Let's read that. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. And the Lord God is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their corner towers in their ruins. I have made their streets desolate with no one passing by. Their cities are laid waste without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will revere me, accept instruction. So her dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble the kingdoms and to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. I mean, again, it is powerful judgment is coming. God is going to gather the nations, not to restore them, but to bring fiery judgment. And so come together and repent. Again, this is a, a bad time for the world. Salvation through judgment is the third part. Announcement of worldwide judgment that we see, an announcement of worldwide salvation in verses 9 and 10, and then the salvation of Jerusalem. And we'll look at this in just a second, but you see uh, judgment for Jerusalem, judgment for the world, and then salvation comes through judgment. This is really significant because so oftentimes in our culture, we believe salvation equals deliverance from judgment, that, that maybe we'll never have to see judgment if we can just skate by. But what we find in the Bible is that the salvation that is coming is going to come through the process of judgment, and that it's at the end of judgment that we see deliverance. And this is significant because look at the way God works. God says that this, there's sin that must be dealt with, and I have to judge that sin before I can bring salvation. And this is what we ultimately see in the New Testament. The day of the Lord will come. Judgment is coming, and in order to take care of the sin of the world, He must pour out His wrath and judge sin for what it is. And instead of destroying the entire world from before His sight, He sends Jesus, who takes the wrath of God upon Himself, experiences the judgment of God, on himself so that the salvation can come to us through the judgment of the sin laid upon Christ. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful picture. This is why Christianity sees itself as the continuation of the Jewish story. Some major themes that we see is ultimately an announcement of the day of the Lord. Zephaniah is our day of the Lord prophet, and he has flipped the script. Everyone believes the day of the Lord is the day when God will bring deliverance to Israel from their oppressors. But Zephaniah says, when this day comes, it's coming for you. It's not a good day. 
Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it is in it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is in that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction, desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Wow. So the day of the Lord is going to be a terrible day. And of course, we believe the ultimate day of the Lord that Zephaniah even looks toward is what the prophet John the Apostle John tells us in Revelation when he brings a lot of these prophecies together that there is a coming a day when the sun will be blotted out and the moon will be blotted out. The sun will be red and the judgment, all the pictures that we see will be laid out upon the people. And in that day, there will be bloodshed, death, destruction. I mean, you can kind of get an early view of Armageddon here. It is not a good day. It is also a day of cleansing when God will essentially clean house with all the wickedness in the world and set things up where he can establish his people. The other theme of judgment ends with Israel's restoration and universal implications for the people. So the very end of the book returns us to the idea of redemption. And it says, For then I will give to the people purified lips, or one pure language, is how it reads in other translations. The idea is that I'm going to then bring everyone back and I'm going to purify their language. And if you understand that implications, we're, we're trying to think of a time, one where the language is uh, disrupted, broken apart. And that was at Babel. And here we see, and this is also picked up in the other prophets, that there will be a day when the languages are reunited so that the world will be reunited and brought back together under the kingship of Jesus. That all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder and bringing them from Ethiopia, bringing the worshipers that have been spread out everywhere. This may include some of the uh, lost tribes of Israel who have been dispersed, but it also may just include all of the descendants that go back to Adam. Those that have uh, called upon the name of the Lord from every place, God will bring back. Another theme that we see is the Yahweh is king. This is significant because in Zephaniah's day, we are dealing with a time when the monarchy is corrupt. Manasseh has set up one of the worst anti-God governments in the history of the kingdom. And so what we find is a prophecy of the kingship will be replaced by God himself. In fact, not replaced, but reestablished. If you remember Samuel, when the people ask him for a king, Samuel says, you don't want a king. A king's going to do all these terrible things. He's going to lead you in the wrong way. He's going to take your sons and daughters for slaves. He's going to tax you. Uh, you don't want a king. And God tells uh, Samuel, give them a king and don't be upset. They have not rejected you. They've rejected me from being their king. Well, Zephaniah pictures a day when God will be king. Uh, verse 15, the Lord has taken away his judgment against you. He has cleansed away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. So in this restored world, in this recreated, restored, saved world at the end of judgment, God himself will come through as king. This is really important because if you remember from the book of Jeremiah, when we talked about chapter 33 and the restored Davidic king, 
that there seems to be an overlapping in the prophetic material of the king who is the Davidic descendant and God himself who is the king. We'll even see this in the book of Psalms when we get into book 4 and 5 and we start seeing God being king over Israel and then yet a shoot of Jesse being promised to come back. How will God rule as king and maintain a Davidic heir as king? And this is going to be that great, wonderful, fulfilled prophecy we see in Christ who is going to come as the Davidic heir and yet God in flesh to be king. And Christ is coming again to establish that throne. Divine leadership replaces failures of the past. Finally, we have the preservation of the remnant. Following judgment, a righteous remnant will remain. Let's just finish out the remainder of this. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They come from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. But I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame, gather the outcast. I will turn the shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord. So Zephaniah sees it coming. The judgment is coming and you cannot stop it. It's going to be terrible. But pray. Hold on. Ask God's forgiveness and mercy. Repent. Maybe he'll hide you from the judgment that is to come. You know, this is an interesting idea of, of the rapture in Revelation chapter 4 or 3, when, sorry, chapter 3 when uh, the church is told that it will be kept from the time of judgment to come from the wrath. Uh, pray for that opportunity. Judah, Jerusalem will be destroyed, but there'll be a time when God regathers and reigns as king from Jerusalem again, restoring the feast, bringing the people, undoing Babel, bringing one nation, one tongue under his lordship. And in the meantime, he's going to preserve the remnant. He's going to maintain his people so that despite the judgment that's to come, the disruption, the dispersion, the people being spread across the entire world, He's going to make sure that that seed is not lost. And the day will come when he will come in power. He will come as king. He'll gather us all back together. And in that time, the salvation will be realized that has been achieved already as we believe in Christ through his judgment on the cross. So what we see here is a really significant prophet that most people don't know. It's only three chapters, so I would encourage you to go read the three chapters. We, we read through, through half of it just in this discussion. Understand that the day of the Lord is not necessarily something that the world is looking forward to. It's a great day of judgment, and Christians all over the earth will be kind of victims of some of that judgment. But pray that you won't be. Pray that God will spare you. And that that judgment then will be the vehicle in which God's ultimate salvation comes. As Christians, we don't really always recognize the future aspect of salvation. We think of getting saved today. Put your faith in Christ today because He has defeated sin, and the judgment of sin has been declared in Christ. It's done. It is finished. So get saved. Get into Christ now. But we mustn't lose hope and lose sight of the fact that that salvation is still future that Christ said he will come back to us, that he will establish his kingdom, that he will bring us back to his home, and that this 
future judgment still remains. What, what uh, Zephaniah sees as the day of the Lord is still coming, and it's a terrible, terrible day. And so pray, be ready, be a witness, and when that judgment is complete and Christ deals with the sins of the world for those that are not found in Him, at the end of that day, we will find ourselves in the living salvation of Jesus. He'll bring us back to Himself. We will be whole. I hope this is a blessing to you. There's a lot of meat in the prophet Zephaniah. Go read it, pray it, and realize that we might be standing at that end point that he saw so long ago. So come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. God bless you.